0: Hi, I'm Steve Thomas. This is Cacophony. Let's dive into some great music. But first, a warning. This episode contains a serious amount of seriously good singing. We often talk about the idea of music taking us on a journey. It's usually a metaphor, but in this episode, the journey is a real one as we follow in the footsteps of over 800 years' worth of Christian pilgrims on the Camino de Santiago, the way of St. James. This ancient and still popular route of tired feet and self-exploration threads its way across northern Spain to the cathedral at Santiago de Compostela, burial place of St. James the Apostle. And from Santiago, many pilgrims head a little further to the Atlantic coast at Finisterre. The medieval ends of the earth. This journey is the inspiration for Joby Talbot's epic choir piece, Path of Miracles, written in 2005 and described as the first choral masterpiece of the 21st century. It's a little short of miraculous itself. I'm joined by filmmaker, science communicator, author, and choral singer Simon Clarke, who shares a singer's insider knowledge and his passion for this great piece. I began by asking Simon what music means to him. Gosh, give me an easy question. What does music mean to me? There are so many
1: days when I wake up and I need to hear music just as much as I need to eat or drink something. Music is someone else's emotions written down and reproduced for you to feel. And I feel like music is then a universal way of experiencing someone else's experience. And perhaps that's something that as humans, we are just drawn to doing. We're such social creatures that we want to know, we want to understand how someone else feels and how someone else thinks. And music is one of the purest ways, I think, that you can accomplish that. What does music mean to me? I suppose music means connection, connection to other humans and by extension of how they feel and how it makes me feel, a connection to myself.
0: That's a really lovely description. It's That's a hard question. It's really good. I think that's beautifully put. So it's such an integral part of your life then? Very much. I mean, I... I grew up in a house that was full
1: of music, so my mum was an amateur opera singer, and so there was always classical music playing. But also, both my mum and my dad are very were very into the music of the sixties and seventies and eighties, and so I, I just always grew up with it being around. The house feels empty if it's completely silent. It was only when I went to university I started singing. I joined a a couple of choirs and it became a really key part of my life. So singing was something you took up relatively late? Yeah, I took it up for a very good reason, which is that I, I went to Exeter for my PhD and I didn't know anyone there. And was presented with this booklet of all the societies you can join. And flicking through, I saw there was an a cappella workshop. And I thought, well, I've done that once before. Maybe I could meet someone, be interesting. And I went, I enjoyed the session quite a bit and went to a social, met a really cute girl who ran a medieval a cappella group. So I ended up auditioning for her choir and from that ended up getting into several other choirs uh, and she became my girlfriend for a bit. And then things got out of hand. I became a choral scholar for four years and then I met my wife in the choir and we got married in the chapel that I did that first a cappella taster session in.
0: Exeter in the choir as a choral scholar... You're singing in the cathedral several times a week. So I sang in the university chapel choir and we would sing in the chapel
1: twice a week. You'd have rehearsals before both of those. And then we also had a separate rehearsal in the week. More often than not, you'd also end up doing something else. A small consort, a gig on a Monday, or you'd do an extra thing at the cathedral. And then the medieval group, the classical a cappella group, sub in sometimes for other people in other groups. So it was a lot.
0: Cool. So a cappella means
1: unaccompanied. and Originally, that's... it meant music of the chapel. I didn't know this until relatively recently. Oh, I suppose so. Yeah. In modern parlance, yes, it's music that doesn't have any accompaniment. But originally it was, yeah, the music
0: of the chapel. And that's where we're headed today. Not necessarily to the chapel, but to the unaccompanied. And ultimately to the chapel.
1: Yes. It's an art form that I think is just, it's so pure in a way. Music is taking someone else's experience and having other people bring it to life for emotional purposes. And when you are making that music, it's a very profound experience sometimes in a choir. It's always, almost always with a group of people that you get to know very well. The people that I sang with several times a week, it's a very close bond thats I can only imagine is similar to a professional sports team or these other groups of people that rely on each other. You all have to be in the moment. You all have to be there, present together. And so you're almost creating the shared consciousness, the shared instrument. And when you do it with your voice, when it's just your body creating it, and there's nothing else helping you it's a really special thing and yeah particularly with the kind of thing we're talking about today for sacred music i think it's just to me the epitome of what music can be i think it's a really special genre
0: so does religion fit in with this sacred spiritual music do you have to believe it to sing it
1: i do no, i definitely don't think you have to believe it to sing it i think most of the people in the choir were from A religious background, that's the most common way that people come to sing in chapel choirs. Not for me, I came to it much later. And I, as someone who is not religious, I can take things away from the ceremonies. And I do take things away from being part of that world. I wouldn't describe myself as a religious person, but I still don't think my enjoyment of the music is any less for that.
0: The piece that you've brought to the table today is Joby Talbot's Path of Miracles. Yes. Joby Talbot was in the Divine Comedy and wrote the music for League of Gentlemen.
1: And for uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy.
0: Yeah, and for Sing.
1: Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And so, I don't know, maybe to have this hour-long outpouring of choral music on top of that. It feels like a very personal piece. This is something that I get the impression
1: that he really wanted to make happen. This was something that he had in his head and he wanted to be out in the world. He talks about how he had a very spiritual trip to northern Spain and seeing the landscape that was followed by a distinctly unmagical car crash. (laughs) I think that this was something that was a personal journey that he took and wanted to express in musical form. So I'd like to shout out the guy who introduced me to this, uh, my director of music at Exeter, Michael Graham. We became friends quite quickly and he basically gave me this CD and said, this is going to kick you in the head. <laughs> it was, this is just going to change your world. And he was completely right. I just remember it completely blew me away. There's four movements in there, about 15 minutes each. So I think I needed to do one movement at a time and sit and digest it almost before moving on to something else. It's one of these pieces that I am forever recommending to people, because especially if you've not performed a lot of choral music yourself, people have a very fixed idea about what choral music is. It's hymns, it's stuff that's sung at royal weddings, and Christmas carols. That's kind of it. And this just blows that perception out of the water.
0: Yeah, it's a great piece. Shout out to you for bringing it to me, actually. (laughs) It's the longest piece that we've yet covered on Cacophony. But it doesn't feel like a long piece, and it has a brilliantly cumulative effect.
1: Yeah, each movement builds on top of each other. The Path of Miracles is the roots of pilgrimage. There's various places you can pick it up, but it finishes in Santiago de Compostela in northern Spain. So the music is about the pilgrimage that people take. There is this sense of it being a journey, and the movements are... Cumulative experiences in the same way that when you go on a long journey, each experience doesn't replace what came before, but it adds to it to make the whole.
0: People have been going on this journey on the Camino for a thousand years or so or more. I've read that even before Christian times, the road existed as a Roman road and people would travel to Santiago and then further on to Finisterre, which is the most westerly point. Mm -hmm of mainland Europe.
1: There is actually a point that's ever so slightly further west, but it's in the common perception. Yeah, that's where the name comes from. Finistere means end of earth. That's the other thing that I find so fascinating about this piece is that in the Christian astrophysics, or whatever the correct term would be, in the medieval period it was believed that there was A sort of cosmic flow from east to west. And that because the sun would rise in the east, that was symbolizing the creation. And when it set in the west, that was symbolizing the eventual destruction of the world. And so by traveling from east westwards towards Santiago and to Finisterre, you were tracing the passage of the earth itself. There's a wonderful moment, a piece of text in the piece talking about Finisterre being where the walls of heaven are thin as a curtain, transparent as glass. And that being where the terrestrial world meets the celestial, and this holy place where the earth stops, and you can look out and see the end of the world over the Atlantic Ocean. So, I could totally believe that there is a pre Christian tradition to that as well. So, you're literally journeying to the ends of the earth. Yeah. And if you look at maps from that period, they would traditionally have east oriented at the top and west oriented at the bottom. So, you were traveling from the top of the earth to the very, very bottom where the earth just stopped. And if you're going to end a journey anywhere, It's going to be there.
0: St. James. We haven't spoken about him. Yes, Santiago. So Santiago is St. James and he was one of the apostles and he was believed to have traveled to preach in Spain. Yes. And then there's this legend that evolves around his body pitching up in Santiago and being buried. The ship which is carrying his body is shipwrecked and his body gets covered in seashells and protected and washed up on the shore. Or something like that.
1: Yeah, that rings a bell. St so James has the symbol of the seashell, which is why when you go places actually in France and in Spain, you will see these brass seashells on the ground, which are marking out the path that you're supposed to go on to Santiago.
0: So this is a piece, the sixteen eighteen strong choir at least, that was written for a group Tenebrae, who are choir at the top of their game, and it's really hard.
1: Yes, this is something that you do in a medium-scale choir, and they have to be very good. This is a very technically challenging piece. And that's apparent right from the get-go. The very opening of the piece, which is one of my favourite parts of it, is this enormous glissando that takes minutes to complete, going from the very bottom of the choir right the way up to the very top notes that the sopranos can sing, with all these overtones forming over the top of it, and there's a sort of almost a Tibetan kind of whistling effect that appears over the top of it. It doesn't actually sound very Western, the beginning of it, and then it explodes out into this chord, this enormously wide chord that proclaims that this is about the pilgrimage to Santiago. And there's a technical difficulty in that, but then much later on in the final piece, when it splits into those 16 parts, it's rhythmically difficult. It has a real drive to it in certain parts and just keeping count must be difficult. I've never sung this. I don't think I'd ever be good enough to sing this, frankly. Just trying to follow along and try to latch onto one part is tough.
0: You said that the beginning doesn't sound very Western. I don't think it is Western, is it? It's
1: Taiwanese? Yes, Taiwanese. Passive put. I don't know why it's there. It actually stands out quite a bit compared to the rest of the piece. But I think it's a very effective way of building a mystical significant atmosphere. This is that's the start of a piece that announces itself and goes, Hey, I'm here. This is gonna be something big and listen in. It certainly does
0: As you say we go from this Taiwanese opening to this huge wide open chorus and it's a quote from a medieval hymn
1: yeah the text for the whole piece is
0: various medieval french poets and
1: i think there's latin in here there's english spoken i think there was some original text that was added to this i don't think it's all ancient text i think it's modern
0: no that's right yeah there's there's modern text as well from robert dickinson but the music as you say it has so many different languages in that first opening there's latin and spanish and French and think, German I think it and might be English and Castilian
1: as well. Oh, it's Galician, and, and you could also argue that represents the people that were going on this pilgrimage. It's this diversity yeah. of languages, and in a very funny way, it's similar to the gold record that was sent out on the Voyager probes. It's all these different languages
0: representing these are humans going on this journey together. Yes, everybody's journey. So the text is in multiple different languages. How important is it to the listener that you understand the words? Because even when it's in English, you can't always hear uh, what's been sung.
1: No, not at all. This is written for an English choir, for English audiences. So obviously, by choosing to put certain bits in English, those are the bits where you're supposed to pay attention. That's where the text is important. I think Latin is used in this as a kind of a lexical condiment. It just sounds so delicious in the mouth. There are so few people that will know what it means. Because it's not standard liturgical Latin, where you, if you've sung this stuff for a very long time, you know the basic Latin of the Gloria or whatever it is. This is there purely to sound gorgeous. And I think a lot of that also applies to the English text. And in the final movement, it's very text dense. There's lots of words in the final movement. And at very few points, I think, do you actually get a sense of what the words are. And I don't think you are missing out on very much of the piece by not hearing it. So I think the text is important at points. It's almost like an instrument in itself. It's like another voice that sometimes rears its head and has a solo moment, but for the most part just forms part of the texture of the experience of the piece. I suppose we should say it's not actually entirely a cappella. There is a very small amount of instrumentation that gets introduced at the start, which are just chimes. And Mm. I think you hear them in the first movement and in the last movement as a kind of counterpoint almost to this purely choral, purely dramatic build-up that this Gasando huge chord and then suddenly you have these chimes crashing in over the top of this discordant chord that then descends back down. It's almost like this massive ascent up a valley and then this gradual plodding descent back down and then you're on this kind of more level footing that you feel like you've built a whole world very effectively. But it's very difficult to pick out a single moment to communicate that. The journey is the piece in a way.
0: Yes, absolutely, yeah. So each movement is named after one of the major towns that you go through?
1: Yeah, Ronsalweis, Burgos, uh, Leon, and Santiago. And I have to admit, I don't particularly like, even in possibly my favourite choral piece ever, I don't particularly like the second movement, but I think that's the point. The second movement is meant to be. This is the part of the journey where your feet hurt and everything sucks, and you're being robbed by people on the road. And this is the hardship of the pilgrimage. Yeah, you only come to the beauty of the third and fourth movements after you've made it through those trials.
0: Yes, it's the tough bit, isn't
1: it? It's not quite the center of the piece, but it's a little bit after the midpoint. There's just a beautiful moment in in Leon in the the third movement that I. Would love to draw attention to. There's a sort of sense of momentum that builds up and then there's this kind of almost like cresting through some clouds with the text, the miracles, the Villa Sirga, the virgin in the apple tree. And there's this wonderful serenity to this moment, having gone through all that hardship of the second movement and this building and building through up to Leon. But then it's followed by this very mystical passage of the apostles on horseback, a journey of days in one night. And it's, you can imagine the stars wheeling over a landscape and these figures making their way across it. It's really hard to communicate. I lack the musical or English vocabulary to quite communicate how it makes me feel, but there's this stillness and there's this serenity that then rounds itself. It's like you've been floating and your feet are back on the ground and you're back traveling towards this destination. It's just wonderful. Possibly my favorite moment in the entire
0: piece. So that moment in Leon then is like a glimpse of the destination, perhaps?
1: Yeah, I think so. And in a way, I suppose that it's the moment of, spirituality that people long for on these journeys and you feel your feet these calloused feet leaving the ground and you float as if completely weightless for a moment and this is why i've done this this is what it's all about and the journey is still going to go on we haven't reached the destination yet but obviously the journey is more important than the destination for these kinds of things it's the moment that you are therefore that's the nucleus of the experience and of the piece but then obviously the journey goes on and has to come to its conclusion it has to reach the destination then you're down the the downward slope of the final movement and racing towards the
0: conclusion and we get to santiago in the end
1: yeah the final movement in a way is three mini movements i think you have this the first part of it which is this joyous descent down the hillside towards Santiago, and there's a huge sense of momentum that builds up. And this is where it splits into all these parts, and you have this huge rhythmic sense to it, with the And it's just this beat, which is wonderful. It's just wonderful to listen to. And then that builds to this kind of, this moment of, we've made it all of this way, and we've made it to Santiago, The cathedral is the focal point, that's the place where the pilgrimage ends. second part of this final movement. It's like a, an appendix or an epilogue where it's all been realised. And you reach Finisterre and then you throw your clothes into the seas, getting rid of the dust of the road and shed your burdens and all these things that you've been carrying with you all this way. And it's the end of your pilgrimage. And that has a quite a distinct end to it. And then you have this return to this constant refrain of Holy St. James, Great St. James, God help us now and evermore. And that repeats over and over again. And in live performances, then the performers peel off in small groups one by one, and you're left with the sense of this group of people that have been on a journey and then have
0: separated and gone their separate ways and taken what they have learned with them. That "here, Santiago motif is the same as the very opening words that you hear.
1: Yeah. So there's a, a circular nature to it, but it's it's almost like a hero's journey. You've returned to where you started from. but. Uh, inarguably changed the way that you look at the world is completely different now (laughs) hearing the very conclusion of this piece is such a profound sort of skin crawling uh, goosebumps kind of moment you don't want the music to end and yet if it ended at that moment it would be perfect It's this hanging in this state of kind of perfect, happy tension. It's just a nominal way to end the piece of music.
0: Fantastic. I think people will be itching to hear it.
1: I hope so. This is a piece that if people give it the time and they sit back and they really listen to it, there's just such riches. And it's a thing that can really change your perception of
0: what music and what choral music can be. Cool. Let's put it on. Thanks very much, Simon. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. So let's have a listen to Joby Talbot's Path of Miracles. It's in four sections, or movements, named after the major towns on the way. In Ronservaille, at the bottom of France, we begin the journey, meeting up with people from other parts of the world, before the austerities and hard yards of Burgos. Burgos is entirely sung in English, and we've moved away from religious devotion. It's all stories of hardship and miracles and hope and faith, but sung over a plodding rhythm. It's heads down, keep going. It's almost gossipy. Did you hear about the pilgrim robbed in Pamplona? Cheated of silver the night his wife died? Remember the son of the German pilgrim hanged as a thief at the gates of the town? They sing the songs of miracles and hope and faith, but there's no expectation and certainty here. It's as though we're passing the time. With the songs and stories to keep us going mad thinking about how much further it is to walk. Leon gives us a glimmer of hope and spiritual breakthrough before we reach Santiago, the culmination, epilogue and closing of the circle, leaving us uplifted, transformed. But before all that, there's the extraordinary, strange, shattering three-minute glissando, a slide from the very bottom to the very top of the choir that opens this unique piece in such a unique way. Click on one of the links in the show notes then to have a listen and then tell us what you think with a comment at cacophonyonline.com or a voice message. Who do you know who you think would really enjoy this? Please share Cacophony with them direct and with your wider circle on social media. It takes more than just faith to keep Cacophony Online If you'd like to support our mission to get more great music to a wider audience and you're able to, please follow the link to coffee.com where you can leave a one-off or regular contribution. Please come back for more next time and thanks for listening.